Hola familia, soy yo, Emanuel Padilla, and I'm here to introduce a new mini-series on the Mestizo podcast called Navigating Symbolic Devastation. We've never done this before, but many of you submitted questions asking for episodes that deal with deconstruction, church trauma, and the grief and dissonance we feel about Christianity. What happens when the symbols of Christianity become deeply associated with racism, patriarchy, and violence? How do we recover the meaning of Christian symbols when they've been co-opted for years, even centuries? We invited Colton Bernasol, essay contributor, theologian, and friend of World Outspoken, to help us answer these questions. Over the next few weeks, we'll journey with him as he helps us navigate symbolic devastation. Así que, siéntase en casa, make yourself at home, and let's get started. Five years have passed since I left the church that raised me. It was not all bad memories, though the most meaningful moments weren't the regular services either. While I was in high school, every Thursday evening, a group of friends met me at an old church building to read and study the Bible together. It was a dingy building, ignored by most everyone else in the church, the once used building that the church had outgrown decades ago, having since become a megachurch. But it was a special place to me, It was where the biblical texts came to life. There I felt the freedom to read, question, and be questioned by these texts. And despite the smallness of the room, I felt immersed in the biblical worlds. The priestly creation hymn of Genesis, John's confession that God is enfleshed in a person from the countryside of Palestine. These stories brought me face to face with the reality unleashed by God. In that forgotten room, I learned that the biblical texts are filled with symbols that point to the love of God. Jesus is a symbol of God's unique presence in the world. Of course, Jesus is both a symbol and more than a symbol, but he is symbolic insofar as his life points to a transcendent love that precedes the beginning of all things, a love that brings all creaturely life into existence, and a love who so adores creation that it would take a flesh and bone become human and preach a message of freedom to those ensnared in a world of violence and hate. This is a love unconquerable by death. Symbols invite interpretation of the world. Their graphic imagery give meaningful shape to everyday life. They etch themselves in a consciousness so thoroughly that when we encounter a symbol, a whole set of meanings is invoked. Our world, put simply, is experienced as symbolic. symbols can be redirected, their truly liberating significance lost. The church I grew up in was a megachurch, founded during the late 1960s, during a time of tremendous social turmoil. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated a few years after the church was founded, 
and in Colombia, bishops of the Roman Catholic Church met in Medellin to discuss what relationship the gospel had to the economic oppression of the poor, a conversation that would be fundamental to the development of a movement known as liberation theology. But I don't remember these movements within Christianity being significant to the theology of the church. What I remember is a theology that invoked symbols like God's salvation, the Holy Spirit, and the cross, all the while being indifferent to much of the injustice around us. I remember fellow congregants expressing unabashed support for Donald Trump, and I remember mostly indifference towards police violence against black life. The reality of God's salvation, it appeared to me, made no claim on the racism and racist violence in which I was raised. Stretching two stories tall, my church placed a cross at the front of their building and cast a light on it at night so that you could see it from the road. The cross marked the building as a church, but it also signified more than that. To me, the cross signified an American Christianity indifferent to the injustice, an indifference that gave way to callousness and allowed nationalist sentiment to flourish. Today, what many see when they encounter Christian symbols, especially of Jesus and the cross, is an indifferent and unjust Christianity. Due to a history of injustice and misuse, the symbols of Christian faith have been ruined for so many. The result of that ruin is what can be described as symbolic devastation. In the experience of symbolic devastation, we can lose sight of a symbol's liberating meaning, and the symbol itself becomes silent. There is a temptation to abandon the symbol altogether. The reason for symbolic devastation of Christian symbols arises from the fact that these symbols have a long cemented history of misuse. In the Americas, Christian symbols have been called upon to justify all manner of wrongdoings, from conquest and indigenous genocide in the colonial era, to white nationalism in the early American era and today, and to the suburban megachurches who aspire after wealth and middle-class stability while ignoring the violent history of the past which made possible our present moment. At this point, the misuse of Christian symbols carried across this history has become a genuine, even if mutilated, tradition, a foul collective habit of appropriating the stories of Israel and Jesus to advance land conquest, capitalist greed, and cultural destruction. Normalized and internalized, the interpretive practice of abusing Christian symbols is the reason for devastation that so many of us experience. One consequence of symbolic devastation has been more public conversation around the need to deconstruct the Christian faith. Christian leaders and intellectuals have both lauded and critiqued the usefulness of deconstruction. Ultimately, however, I see the call for theological deconstruction as an outcome of symbolic devastation. The question is not whether one should deconstruct the symbols of Christian faith, but how to recover and encounter with the liberating meaning of Christian symbols after symbolic devastation has left us with nothing but silence. To put it another way, deconstruction is an option, symbolic devastation is not. We do not choose to be devastated, rather we undergo it. Deconstruction is the necessary step afterward, 
where we try to understand why and how symbols are used to give religious credence to the unjust world we continue to build. So far, I've described what appears to be a rather linear process. Symbols at first are not devastated and then become devastated. But perhaps it is better to think of the process as occurring differently, depending on our relationship to the symbol. For some, the devastation is all one knows. The symbol does nothing but signify and justify the violence in which we all live, move, and have our being. This is the case for intellectuals such as Franz Fanon, who claims that the church represents nothing more but the ways of the colonizer. And we could read Karl Marx in this way too, who argues that religion is nothing other than an ideological justification behind the unequal social order that the bourgeoisie have built. Illuminating as these two figures are, they are resigned to religion's liberating possibilities. Others stagger back and forth, carrying within them a dimming hope that struggles against what appears to be a history of the symbol's signification of violence. Here we are not resigned, but we understand those who have resigned. The struggle is navigating the murkiness of a symbol that simultaneously points toward love and toward violence. Stagger one way, we can recover the symbol. Stagger another way, and the liberating meaning of that symbol is lost. In this sense, it is helpful to imagine the experience of symbolic devastation as a death of meaning. One grieves a loss, the symbol becomes a linguistic corpse. It is silent, and terrifying though this experience is, for those for whom the symbol died, there is also no going back. Devastation stretches outward from the symbol and takes hold of the person. They wonder if the symbol will ever be meaningful to them again. If it is to mean something, the previous interpretation is no longer sufficient. The experience of symbolic devastation finds its expression in Mary, who, as the Gospel of John tells us, approached Jesus' tomb at dawn just a few days after his crucifixion. Jesus was her beloved teacher, and more than that, he represented the arrival of God's reign in her world. To see the crucifixion of Jesus, then, was to witness the literal and actual death of the enfleshed symbol of God's love. Having witnessed the brutality of the Roman Empire as it exerted its full power to expose the fragile humanity of Jesus, Mary saw her hopes and dreams come to an end, who for her was a symbol of new life she now believed to be a silent corpse. I imagine her weeping in the dark just before daybreak. Many of us find ourselves in similar kinds of graveyards. What were once powerfully evocative symbols are now silent. They lie before us like corpses. They no longer speak. We tremble and weep before the possibility that there might never be a return to the fullness, a return to the reservoir of meaning that these symbols point to and that we base our lives upon. Can these symbols mean something new? Can they speak to us again? I believe they can. My name is Colton Bernasal, a friend and essay contributor for World Outspoken. I am a follower of Jesus, somebody who believes that Jesus' teachings, way of life, crucifixion, and resurrection reveal the presence of God in our world. But I've also experienced symbolic devastation, and have felt the loss of the liberating meaning of Christian symbols. Over the next few weeks, we'll be exploring the theme of symbolic devastation. How do symbols get devastated in the first place? What does it feel like to experience the death of meaning of the symbols that we cherish 
and the symbols that frame our world? And how might we re-encounter the liberating meaning of these symbols after their silence? To answer these questions, we will need to journey with three theologians who wrote and reflected in contexts that are both similar to and different from my own. But before doing that, we need to go back to 1492, in the first moments when European explorers and colonizers arrived on the shores of the Caribbean and made their ways to the Americas. For it is there that we consider one symbol in particular, the cross, so that we might trace the origins of the devastation we experience today. Why does symbolic devastation occur? How might we name its causes? And what does it look like to interpret Christian symbols otherwise, so that their liberating meaning might be rediscovered and re-encountered? Join me every two weeks as we work through these questions together. Find these episodes on the Mestizo podcast feed, or read the transcripts on the World Outspoken website. Though the silence of symbolic devastation is real, we can trust in the story of Mary, who, facing the silence, heard her teacher's voice even after death. Let us move forward knowing that the God of justice, Israel's God, the one revealed in Jesus, is the God who speaks even after devastation. Blessings until next time.